0: I'd say there are probably two big factors, and really I think they're the same factors that, that we'd see here, and maybe I'd throw a third in. Um, the first one would be a sense that there's a decline in academic standards mm. and uh, and that kids aren't getting the same quality of education that their, their parents had had. Um, the second is has more to do with a worldview, ethical, mm. ideological concern that maybe their kids are not being taught the sorts of values that they themselves were raised with or that they want to raise their their children with. Welcome to Classical Etc. You're in the studio with Memoria Press.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Classical Etc. My name is Jessica Gardner and I'm here today with Martin Cothran, Tanya Charlton, and a special guest, Brian Lapsa. He is joining us, our Memoria Press colleague from across the pond. (laughs) Brian's title here at Memoria Press is the director of UK and European operations. And he came to us from Oxford where he earned a doctorate in classics. Brian, we are glad to have you here.
0: Thank you very much. I'm very glad to be here.
1: Uh, And you might be thinking, Memoria Press has a European market and we do. And that is a topic of today's episode. We're gonna talk about what we're doing, how it's going and what we're looking forward to. And on every episode, before we dig in to the main event, we talk about what we're reading. Oh no! So to give Brian a little time, <laughs> Martin, you're always up to something. I'm
2: I'm. Your, I'm, I'm always one. Of, I'm. I'm having. And, and today, I'm having to look for the very first time. Um. <laughs> uh, because yeah, I'm. I'm. Um. Uh, in a previous episode, Paul was talking about the uh, the British adventure uh, book that I gave him yes. for Christmas, uh, Sharpe's Tiger. Um, I was looking to see what the what the next one was because I did start it. Oh, the Last Kingdom. I'm on the third sharp book by Bernard Cornwell, who, as I mentioned on a previous podcast, some people have called the the, the best historical fiction writer writing. Have um, you ever heard of
0: him? I Have not.
2: Yeah. Well, you now, you I don't know how much. Well, you were at Oxford here so in England. <laughs> I've been told by um by people who should know that. Sharp, I think it's called Sharp. Maybe it's just called Sharp. There is a a streaming series that runs in England, starring Sean Bean, which is quite the thing, um, is what I understand. But you Fact apparently check. spent your your time in Britain doing more productive things than watching British television.
0: Well, yeah, let's let's go with that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I've just started uh, the Last Kingdom, is what I'm. When I'm and, and it's just you know a fun book. Nothing nothing serious I've got other books uh, that I'm reading for more serious reasons but that's the one I haven't mentioned yet I think on the podcast because we we do this we do this Brian every week and she that's what we're reading so we have to read a lot in order to have something different to say the next week
3: or just say war and peace (laughs) which is what (laughs) for the 15th time Mm -hmm. Uh, okay I'm done that's
1: you (laughs) how about you Brian
0: I'm uh, working my way through a play, which uh, was based on the great Latvian epic. Uh, it's a story of a guy whose name is the sort of Bear Ripper, more or less. Um, and so wow. Involves, yeah, he has the strength of a bear and also the ears of a bear. And uh, this play is by one of the great poets of the early 20th century. Um, and it's, it's called Fire and Night. And it's a little bit about, uh, you could say, the medieval Baltic.
3: Ooh. Is it in Latvian or is uh, it in English?
2: Uh,
0: there may be a translation. This, uh, I'm not sure.
3: You're this, reading, uh, it, in reading it in Latvian?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it, did, did we mention that he, uh you, you live in Latvia, is that correct? That's or right. You, yeah. Re, okay. Well,
0: between England and Latvia.
2: Yeah. Okay. Uh, for for listeners who are geographically ignorant and don't know where <laughs> Latvia is, maybe you could tell them.
0: Sure. Uh, it's in the northeastern corner of, of Europe, uh, bordering Estonia, Lithuania, Belarus, and Russia.
1: Well, I am looking forward to our discussion today because I think we're going to get into a topic that maybe not many people in the Memoria Press community know about, the projects that we have started in in Europe. And the UK and continental Europe has such a rich classical heritage. But Brian, I'd like to start with you. Could you tell us what is the state of classical education today in those places?
0: Sure. Yeah, it's a very broad question. And uh, to some extent, it's, it depends on which country you have in mind. Mm. Uh, but let's start with the with the UK. Okay, um, Maybe in contrast to the US, Latin and Greek never totally disappeared from schools. Uh, and I know there was some continuity of Latin uh, in, in the US, but we're quite, quite limited. Um, Latin and Greek have persisted in schools in the UK. For the most part, that was in the in the domain of the private schools over there, a little bit confusingly, it's called public schools. Public school is is a private and very prestigious school, and uh, and there you could easily find kids learning Latin and Greek for eight years uh, mm. consistently and and graduating with real mastery uh, of those languages. And 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 you still will. And those kids will go off to university and they'll uh, have have happy happy careers at university <laughs> reading Cicero and Homer and mm. and, and and Virgil. Uh, but th- the number of those schools shrank uh, considerably. Um, I believe in state schools, it was more common, a generation or two ago, to still find Latin. Don't really know about Greek uh, in the state schools. Um, and now you will still find, occasionally there will be a little bit of a, t- a tug of war. So, for instance, uh, the previous government, or I guess two governments ago, really, uh, there was a push to add Latin to schools. There's something like 80 schools, which added Latin programs. Um it's not clear what the long term fate of those programs uh, will be but i suppose in a in a nutshell the memory of that kind of classical education uh, has survived even mm. if its extent and its distribution uh, mm. has contracted
2: unlike probably the united states where mm. it's been gone for so <laughs> long that there is no me- there is no memory no, of it and so look so at now like, the, well now yeah. the teachers have to relearn it Yes. Uh, whereas it sounds like maybe they're... Well, that's not and
3: we have to fight harder, I think, to, to show people the importance of it mm-hmm. in a way yeah. that I don't think is... True, necessarily in the UK. I think they, mm. they, st- they know they've lost it, and they want it back. And in America, mm. we forgot we lost it, and mm. we. So we're having to say, and "Don't this know is why, why we would need That's it back." Right. Yeah. That's right. Mm.
0: That's right. And, and as I say, you will still find, let's say, physicists <clears throat> or other sorts of scientists, um, quite a few bankers or business people who have had quite a lot of Latin, often mm-hmm. a fair bit of Greek. Enjoyed it a lot. Loved the stories. Loved the, the 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 languages. And then just went on went on and did something else because it was a good formation for them. So the it's almost a, a a type in British society, the kid who does very very well at school with those languages goes on and studies classics university, then goes over to London becomes a very successful banker. So the, the, this is a, this is an identifiable cultural fixture. That's not seen there. as weird. That's not seen as as weird. And. Uh, you know, here if you open a school and say we're going to teach Latin here, you might be the only school doing that for 100 miles around, and it's that tends not to be the case in the UK.
2: Yeah, uh, even though you have like a Mark Zuckerberg who is apparently a, I don't know, a classics major or studied Greek or something. Yes, in, I know his yeah. sister is
0: <clears throat> very keen on classics.
2: Yes, and that though there's there's a number of examples in the tech industry uh, about this that are not widely known, but yeah.
3: So why do you think that? You know, we were kind of shocked when we went over there and people over there started asking us, telling us they needed help and they Mm. were interested in our curriculum because they want a better education for their children than the one they're getting now. What do you think was the driving force behind that?
0: Mm. I'd say there are probably two big factors and really I think they're the same factors that, that we'd see here and maybe I'd throw a third in. Um, the first one would be a sense that there's a decline in academic standards mm. and uh, and that kids aren't getting the same quality of education that their their parents had had. Um, the second is has more to do with a worldview, ethical, mm. ideological concern that maybe their kids are not being taught the sorts of values that they themselves were raised with or mm. that they want to raise their their children with the The third factor that I thought I'd throw in is that that picture that I described for you, where the kid does eight years of Latin and Greek and then goes off to maybe Cambridge or Oxford and then goes to London, has this high-flying career as a, as a financial tycoon or something. That's obviously the province of a, a very small elite. Mm. Uh, some of these parents will pay 30, 40, 50,000 pounds per year to send their kids off to, to school, rather send one one kid one off child, to school. One <laughs> child, right. Uh, so mm-hmm. there are families mm-hmm. who can afford that and they'll keep mm-hmm. doing that. So, so it won't t- totally disappear. But the number of, of, of families who can do that is very, very small. Sure. And the other thing is, there, there are, I've had the, the, the good fortune of getting to know a few families in, in the UK who really, really prize education and who have been teachers for something like four or five generations. It's almost like a, the family trade. Um, those families are educated to the highest Levels and don't have a lot of disposable income, even income mm-hmm. to, to spend on on education. A little bit like we've seen with education costs, higher education costs in mm-hmm. the U.S., mm-hmm. uh, secondary education costs in in the UK have skyrocketed mm-hmm. over the last generation. So this family, which hypothetical family, let's say, which used to be able to count on maybe having a house on the grounds of the school and a, a seriously reduced rate to send their own kids to the school. Uh, because they were teaching there, uh, they can't count on being able to do that anymore, and so mm. they're priced out of the very institutions that they're working in. Mm. So I think those probably those two three factors: sense of academic decline in the state schools, um, concern about the the content of the moral formation, uh, and then being priced out of the <laughs> out of out of out of the schools that offer the kind of education they'd want to.
3: Mm. When I asked them, you know, various people over there. Why they felt like they needed our help when I I feel like what we're the education that we are providing here is an education that we stole from England, um that uh, that traditional classical education and and they everybody would would say we just we've let it go and now we want it back we need we, and we need help getting it back. And I feel like we're in a place there trying to help those people. We're, as it was here 20 years ago, which you're going to remember, you all are not. But, you know, 20 years ago in America- <laughs> Why did I get pointed out? If I, you know, the fact that you were homeschooling was an anomaly. Mm-hmm. The fact that you were teaching Latin, that your students were taking Latin, you know, people looked at you like you had three heads- So I feel like that's where we are there is just trying to help people normalize it again, normalize a good education with Latin at its core. Mm -hmm. And so we've done it before, but it's, it's interesting to me. But I do also think the schools that we visited over there were... I think still those children were being educated. Mm. I think they they were getting content taught. And part of that, I think, is due to the fact that they have to because of the testing that they're required to do. So that, I think, has helped them. I don't think they're in the kind of shape that our educational system is in, unless I just saw schools that, I mean, maybe they're, Maybe the schools we saw were an exception, but, but I, but I think they all have to follow that national curriculum to some extent,
0: right? To some extent, although the, the national curriculum itself is more bare bones than mm. than you might think. I, th- I think you're right when you point to the exams, GCSEs, and mm. and A levels as other as as having played a significant role in retaining more of that content rich.
2: Thank goodness. Curriculum. That's right. Mm. Um, Whereas in the United States, our tests are basically content free. Uh, if you take the SAT, you take the ACT. Um, the, they're not—they're not expecting you to know content. It, It's—you know—the Scholastic Aptitude Test. Uh, so it's—it's it, it's encouraging to hear that there's at least some emphasis on content in and it's really national
3: important, you know, that they pass that students pass those tests. It's individually important, you know. Here we're all concentrated on this grade that the school gets. Mm-hmm because that determines their, mm. s- their state money. That's right. Mm. And so I do think that they're over there in better shape than we have gotten to be in here.
0: They, they, they are definitely concerned about overall school ratings as well, and, and some <coughs> teachers feel that this puts undue pressure on them. So there's a, a very, very intense regulatory process um, that that involves regular inspections and and this can be not exactly at the drop of a hat but but with very very little forewarning mm-hmm. um, and this is more or less ongoing so it's something that school heads are, are very very concerned concerned about and of course academic performance is is going to play into that uh, but these nationally set exams more or less nationally set exams uh, do figure into the leaving school leaving certificate in a way that it's not as direct as the connection between SAT and school diploma here
2: right. in the U.S. Um, one of the things we do emphasize is, um, is, is a, you know, a strong content knowledge of history in particular and, um, you know, a wide understanding of a representative books, uh, re- representative literature. That's how a culture passes on its values to the next generation is primarily, I think, through history and literature. Um, are, are you saying that because, you know, I think, you know, I, I've heard for years about France, for example, which apparently, according to what I've heard, is is they, the passing on French culture is important to the French. And so they do that in their schools. Is that the case in, in Europe more than it is here? Because we, we largely don't do this anymore in, in our schools.
0: I think in the, in the case of the UK, it very much depends. So one of the aspects of these exams, the GCSEs and and others, is that certain sections of them can be fulfilled uh, using discrete sets of, of texts. Mm-hmm. So let's take English as an example, and I should be careful to say I, I don't know the exam, the English exam, uh, at all really mm-hmm. uh, but I know there are sections that focus on let's say pre-20th century and 20th century and uh, you can choose sets of works from the different time periods and to some extent let's say that keeps a somewhat loose canon in place mm-hmm. uh, loose canon is maybe not, <laughs> not the right <laughs> a loose canon with one end two total ends <laughs> um uh there are concerns that the number of prescribed works and the, the nature of the prescribed works may may introduce a kind of oblivion of the kind that you're talking about. And so some parents who are interested in what Memoria has been doing here in the US and what we're starting to do over there um, is because there's there's a real very conscious sense of that responsibility to pass on the things that we've we've received.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also I, I had uh, somebody who I met who was, uh, who was a teacher at a very prestigious school in England and, um, she was, she looked at our materials and I talked with her her for a little bit and she said, well, you're, if you're teaching this stuff, then you're doing better than they're doing at my school. And Mm there's a very prestigious school that you've heard about, um, and she said that their school was very progressivist in the in the educational sense of you know uh, uh, a very sort of permissivist type of teaching. Um, content is less important than the, than, the, than the process of you know, and so skills become important, but content does not become very important. Hmm. Um, is 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 that? And she was talking about in England. Is is that? Uh, and and uh, i know your most of your experience is probably continental but is that a problem in in schools in other countries in europe or because you, you're saying that they do emphasize content uh, they do partly because of the, of the of the government tests
0: yep there i think there's gosh there's a lot here but uh, there's content on the one hand mm-hmm. and there's the methods by which the content mm-hmm. uh, may be taught and i think often the methods are very non-traditional sometimes experimental mm-hmm. Um, seriously, downplaying the role of, of of memorization. One of the books I've seen circulating here has been popular in educational circles over in the UK as well. It's by a UK teacher, Daisy Christodoulou. Mm-hmm. Seven yeah. myths about education, which yeah. mm-hmm. just tackles one by one these reigning orthodoxies <laughs> in mm-hmm. education mm-hmm. schools, yes. mm-hmm. and 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 these were orthodoxies which she had accepted in her own teaching uh, mm-hmm. career, and was devastated mm-hmm. to find that in fact. In the classroom, they just don't work. And so she very much wanted to be teaching her pupils in a student driven way, in a way that didn't cruelly force them to memorize things. Mm-hmm. And then what mm-hmm. she found was that they just weren't learning.
2: <laughs> right. And, and, and
3: without being forced to yeah, memorize, and,
2: and <laughs> they <laughs> wouldn't
0: read. They couldn't yeah, we've write.
2: read that as a, a staff in, in the schools division here. And, yeah, and I I I I'm that. assuming I since it made its important. way across the pond yes. that it had some impact then in. in uh, in, in England too,
0: people ha- yeah, people have been talking about it definitely, and and she's been an important figure in that movement.
3: And also, you know, homeschooling is really growing over there. Because I was going to ask that. It sounds yes. like we're
1: talking more about the brick and mortar school, right? But really, is that
3: no? The okay. okay. There, we talk to a lot of homeschoolers who really okay. want to take education back. And be in control of their children's education. It's harder there, which I didn't know before we went on this this little tour that uh, we took um, in a rented car, which Brian drove on the wrong side of the road, on the mm. wrong side of the car. I kept um, going. Isn't uh, that strange? Get, I, went, um, I
2: noticed that when I was there.
3: Yes. Was it a good time or a good story? (laughs) Oh, so many good stories. We were in many roundabouts. Hmm. Apparently, the interstate... So, the very first time I went on this road trip... Were we going to Windsor, maybe? I can't remember. But we were going from London to Windsor, I think. Or Southampton. I don't know. But it was the very first time I'd been in the car with Brian. And, And we get on this what i thought was an interstate like an american interstate and then but we kept having to get off on these little roundabouts and so i thought well we must not be on the interstate yet and then we finally (laughs) we got on we got back on after a roundabout and then and he said oh 11 miles to the next one that's just great and i'm like (laughs) 11 11 miles is, what is great about going 11 miles? Well, it turns out there's a roundabout everywhere. So 11 miles was a huge stretch of road that you could actually drive without slowing down, getting off, going around the roundabout, trying to make sure you get back on the right way. It's crazy, but we did it.
0: You were very, very patient. (laughs) (laughs) Very, oh oh, yeah,
3: (laughs) that's right. Because at the beginning, Brian hadn't driven a stick much, but it was a stick. So I can't drive a stick. I wasn't judgmental at all, but there was a lot of (laughs) banging around,
2: (laughs) a little bit of whiplash. whiplash.
1: (laughs) Sometimes we'd just
3: stop in the middle of the road. (laughs) That didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) What car were
0: you in, Tanya?
3: She makes up stuff
0: about me, too. I was
3: right beside you. I may have been in the back seat.
0: I'm sure there was a good explanation, like a stop sign or a, or a traffic light.
3: Generally, it was you doing something with a gear.
0: <laughs> that, is, that is a pure lie.
3: Oh. <laughs> yeah, take that back. Oh, prime content. <laughs> it's never but he got really good at it. Um, there we are.
2: There we are. Morpheus In more. three
3: weeks, he got very good at it.
2: We mentioned Daisy Christadulu, and anyway, didn't want to get too far past that yeah. without saying the title of the book. Do you remember? It's yeah. the seven, seven Myths About Education. Seven Myths About it is a very good book. Okay. So if We sell viewers,
3: it. We, yeah. Oh, it okay. is right. very good. good. Yeah, it is very, it is, very, yep. it okay. is a very, it's and, one and of
2: she's, the best. She's doing a, a lot of the things that E.D. Hirsch has done mm. here, but she cataloged it a little differently. Yeah. And it's a, it's a smaller book than mm-hmm. some of the ones the he's slim doing.
0: volume, very readable. Each chapter has the same format, states the myth, states where it's found. So she's not, arguing against a, a straw man mm-hmm. uh, and then right. explodes it precisely as a, as a myth. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very, very powerful. Work. Yes. Strongly recommend that. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: Mm. So it sounds like your um, that trip was <laughs> a journey well, well, and you, know, you came back. It was a journey well, because Brian yeah, had, had a lot of contacts that okay. we
3: wanted to connect with and mm-hmm. just see, you know, yeah. what people needed from right. us, what they right. wanted from us. And okay. so, we met a. Lo- we went to visited some schools. Mm. We met quite a few homeschool groups. Um, quite a few. What? Why are you? What? Are you he is smirking. Am I? What have I left out? What have I left out? <laughs> thinking about the roundabout. But we I was actually
2: thinking a little bit about the roundabout. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're remembering now what she's talking about. I mean, we were literally
3: all over the country, from yeah. the north to the south, and back yeah. and forth. So it, um, I feel like I've seen England and Wales, but and mm-hmm. Wales, we yeah, we went to Cardiff too. Um, but it was just so refreshing to mm. hear people excited about about taking the education of their children back and owning it again. Mm. And um, and we're excited to try to help. Mm-hmm. And I mean, can we say that we're going in March? Can we say that that we're mm-hmm. so we're going back in March and we're going to do a two day conference in London. Wow. Okay. And just a, like a regional
1: conference, like we do here. Okay. So okay. families, people who represent schools, teachers
3: go. in schools, okay. absolutely. Just okay. you know where we're going to do some plenary speeches where okay. we will talk about general overview mm-hmm. of what classical education is. Why would you? Okay. Why would you do Latin all the time? Um how to be a master teacher but then also breaking into workshops to teach people how to teach our curriculum how to teach using one of our literature guides or Mm -hmm. how to teach a latin course um and hopefully be able to help people like like we can do here so easily and so um we're hoping lots of people will come we had a little conference when we were there before, was that October?
0: That was October. Yes. Yeah, we did and, a one-day one conference in and October. it And mm-hmm. it
3: was one day, and it was really fun, and it was great to connect with people that, who are just trying to do the same thing we're doing here
0: mm-hmm.
3: and just to be able to help them.
0: Yeah. The, the, those parents will be facing the same sorts of questions that mm-hmm. homeschooling parents and private schooling parents uh, have faced over here, which is mm-hmm. uh, this is clearly going to be a significant investment of of time, energy, thought, trying to understand what what this thing is. Uh, Is it worth it? Is it going to leave my kid some sort of fringe weirdo and not that well-educated? Because that's obviously a big motivation is is getting that academic (laughs) formation. And um, I would say there's a little bit less of the sense of, well, we'll just kind of break out of the system and do it on our own Mm. uh, over there. And there's a concern which is shared by by Americans, but I think it's it's probably a bit deeper seated there um, that they don't want to be too far beyond the, the norm. Mm. Um, and
3: that is different because in America, you know, we're all very individual, yeah. individual well, it's individualistic. We're,
2: you know, we're, our country was formed uh, by pioneers. And mm-hmm, so right. we went off and did our own thing. That, and, is,
3: that is different.
0: And, mm. Also, the space to do it. And yes, that, yes. that made a big difference.
3: And and, it continues to make a big and difference. And the freedom, yeah. you know, that we, if I want to go down the road and start a school nobody can can nobody's able to do that let's remember it wasn't
2: that's a recent thing that Mm, was not that way 20 years ago uh i couldn't
3: start a school 20
2: years ago uh, well it it, it was a very different mentality Mm -hmm. um when we started homeschooling we were we were seen as being a little weird oh uh, absolutely and 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 but i mean when she was starting a school because in the united states you had um public schools, which were Protestant. So Catholics uh, formed their own schools in the early 20th century. And so there were public schools and Catholic schools, that was okay. And then really after the school prayer decision, you can almost tack it right to that, you saw the start of Protestant schools because public schools were no longer Protestant, they were secular. Right. So then you had public schools, Catholic schools and Protestant schools, and that was okay. But homeschooling—it took a while for homeschooling to be considered credible. Yes, and all—and I mark the. I mean, that's very recent. Yeah, and I mark—I mark the credibility of homeschools to the movie RV with Robin Williams, <laughs> where the homeschooling family saves the day, and it's a series. It's about around that time uh, where all of a sudden, then homeschooling becomes respectable. But, it, but hey, that's that's fairly recent. But I'm
3: but. Y- Cheryl didn't have to do anything to start Highlands Latin School. Well, it wasn't illegal.
2: Well, that's what I mean. But it it
3: is in England. You can't just start a school. Mm -hmm. You have to go through the government to start a school. So that is different. And that makes it a lot harder. Mm, the context just has... Yes. Yeah. I mean, you have to do a lot yeah. to get... So
0: definitely not illegal, but a very long and often prohibitive certification process. Right. And,
3: it would be illegal you know. without that process. Oh, yes. You're not, not allowed sure. to have school... Hmm. You can't join together as a group for, what, more than 16 or 18 hours a week
2: That's without
3: right. getting government permission to do that. So mm-hmm. it is different from our total freedom. When I first realized that I was shocked. Like, what do you mean you can't start a school? Mm. Right. Yeah, the the limits
2: here were were sort of implicit and mm. it was more more societal stigma. Right. Rather than a law, but it was there. Mm. Yeah. But we, it's
0: definitely growing over there.
1: It is. It is. Oh, and I mean, an I mean, comfortability with homeschooling and And we know, oh. we know yeah. what can happen
3: because we've seen it happen yeah. here over the last twenty years. Right. We have seen right. homeschoolers Stand up and say we are going to do this because this is the best way we can educate our children and so get out of our way and Mm. their students are good college students and colleges want them Mm -hmm. and it's totally different than it was when Martin and I started Mm -hmm. doing this. It's a totally different atmosphere now. It's no longer where you feel like you need to mumble, home- i homeschool. homeschool. <laughs> yeah. In the late 90s, I was at
2: the <laughs> Indiana Homeschool Conference, which was not very big at that time. It became bigger later. But there was a booth next to me, and it was Purdue University. Hmm. And th- this was when homeschooling still wasn't cool. And, um, and I walked over to the guy and said, well, interesting that you're here. <laughs> and he said, we've seen the studies. Wow. And that was at the very beginning of that. So, oh, wow. so colleges were starting yeah. to catch on and realizing, ah, oh, there's a market here. That helped huh. a lot when
3: colleges yeah, actually right. started embracing homeschoolers. That helped a lot in this country mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. reputation of yes,
2: homeschool. It did.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's a great note to end on. Hope, right? That that it can it can work and it does work. And we've seen it work. And there's work to be done in the UK and Europe. and And we've started it.
3: So absolutely we we really want to just partner mm. yeah. with them yeah. and help them as much as we can yeah because it's all it's a global education is a global responsibility that we have mm. and so we want to do whatever we can to help you know we've already we've got mm. a lot of stuff already done so yeah. it'll be nice um When we started it here, we were creating Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. curriculum. At the same time, we were trying to help. We didn't know what we were doing. You know, it was all Mm -hmm. brand new, but we're coming at this.
2: Cheryl knew what what she was doing. She (laughs) knew. She
3: knew. And she, and we, you know, she mentored us through it. Mm -hmm. But, but now we've got the tools that we, I think, can help better. (laughs) You're doing that for Europe and the UK. Yes, Mm -hmm. in a way that. Yeah, that was harder when it when we were developing yeah. it and trying and to figure it out. It. Yeah. Right, yeah. right.
0: I think it is an act of recovery, and everywhere mm-hmm. we go, it's mm-hmm. um, it's not that we're bringing something Anything new, new. That's right, or foreign. Really, it's um, of course we have a particularly American instantiation of that classical educational tradition. Mm-hmm. But at the base, it's something that's going to be shared with classical education as it existed in all this these, That's these right. places that we're, aside we're from going, nationality
3: so. aside sure. from yeah. place but mm-hmm. um but also we do we have to make some changes mm-hmm. to the curriculum I don't want to leave that out we are planning mm-hmm. to anglicize to contest- it to contextualize yes there's a there is a canon of british literature mm-hmm. children's literature that we need to get into we need into our curriculum mm. um just like we've done with our American literature, there's a canon of books that children need to have read to live here. Mm -hmm. And, and so we need to do that. And so we're working on that, but that's a big, I mean, that is a big, long project, but we're going to get a lot of help. That's wonderful.
2: We've
0: we've had a lot of, a lot of input from the parents who are, I think very courageously uh, stepping outside a little bit, the the mainstream and taking their kids education into their, their own hands. And, they're very keen to send us uh, sheet after sheet. I suggest. would Love <laughs> yes. to see if, you. We know, oh. include this book. Or oh, right, this book, but so. that
1: feedback has to be so encouraging. It is very much so. It is very yeah. much so. They're not all that interested in our states and capitals. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Brian, thank you for joining us today it's for this been an discussion. Honor to be here. That's wonderful. Thanks for me. And thanks for joining us. Um, we hope that this has been interesting and encouraging to you to hear about what we're doing overseas. And uh, from all of us at MP, thanks for being here. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us today on Classical Etc. by Memoria Press. If you like what you heard, please like, subscribe, or share this episode or comment. We love to hear your questions and your comments. If you want to learn more about Memoria Press, please go to memoriapress.com. This has been Classical Etc. We're so glad you joined us, and we'll see you next time.
0: Listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit us at memoriapress.com. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.